0: Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you again as we continue our series, God Reigns in the Rain. Thinking about how God works, even when it seems so chaotic around us, even when it seems like forces that oppose God are triumphing and God himself isn't doing anything. We wonder, is it true that God isn't doing anything? Is is the rain that's pouring down really taking over? Or does God rain? We have lots of things we try to put our trust in, in life. And one of them that's a really easy target to talk about how it always fails us is the weather forecast. And so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do it because I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated today because I'm looking back at this last week and, and the forecast you might say, well, it was a beautiful period of weather in, in the St. Louis area. And in, it's completely true, it was but it wasn't what was forecast. And if you recall, a week ago, we were talking about potentially record high temperatures, maybe even triple digits last Monday. And, and I know a lot of people are ready to be done with summer, but I was excited about this weather because I love swimming and I'm a bit of a chicken. I, I don't like being in a cold pool and I don't have access to a heated pool. And so if I want to go swimming when when the summer's winding down, what can I do? I can hope for unseasonably warm temperatures. And that's what it looked like we were promised for last week, high temperatures with plenty of margin for error, even if it ended up a little colder than they forecast that it would still be warm enough to go swimming. And sun, lots of sun, which is perfect for that. It helps heat up the water. What did we get last week? Well, it was lovely to be outside, but it was cool, at least for the season. It was 70s, maybe barely lapping at 80, going down to the 60s, even 50s at night, and lots and lots of cloudy weather, the kind of weather that causes the pool to get colder and colder and colder, not warmer. So I'm frustrated with that. And that's, in some sense, a silly example. Like I said, as far as picking on weather forecasts, that's a really easy target, it's low hanging fruit, and yet it speaks to the much deeper things we run into when we put our trust in institutions and people and all sorts of things. And we we feel like there's a forecast there that looks like it's not only going to do what we're counting on, but there's even a margin for error that if things don't happen quite how we anticipated, it'll still work out. And then it doesn't even sort of meet. It's just like with the weather last week where it's not even, okay, it's not record setting, but it's still high 80s and, and warm enough to warm up pool water, give an opportunity to go swimming. It's frigid. What do we do in those times? What do we do when it appears, even as we read God's word and we seek to follow him, that it appears that what's triumphing in the world, the things that are working are the very things that God says don't work, the very things he says we should flee from. What do we do then? Well, if you recall, as we started a couple weeks ago on this series, and we've been exploring Psalm 5, David's in one of those situations. He knows that God is king. He He's coming before the God who's the king of the universe. And yet, while David has received promises from God, while David has been called to be the king of Israel, it doesn't necessarily feel all that successful in this moment. We don't know the exact circumstance. We just know that David is in a place where it feels like there's a downpour and it was supposed to be sunny skies. What do you do in those moments? What does it mean when it seems like evil's triumphing? Is it that God doesn't care? Is it that God isn't working? Is it that God has compromised and said maybe evil's okay? These are the horrible things that run through our heads. But as we continue in this psalm, David calls us to recognize, no, that's not the case. God really is still working. As we prepare to go into this psalm again tonight, let's go ahead and ask our God to help us because we all carry those places where we wander, where we struggle, where we're trying to understand what God's doing. Let's ask that he would provide that clarity to those places in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, as we come back to this psalm, there are so many times that, that we know that you say that you are in control. We know that you explain very clearly the things that you value and the things that you oppose, and yet in the moment we're not quite sure what to make of the circumstance. Would you help us to see how you are working? Would you help us to trust when we feel confused and uncertain? Would you give us give us the confidence that only comes in you? We pray in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Here's where we should start. We need to understand when It seems like evil is rising. Evil is successful. And that's how it feels for David in this moment. God doesn't compromise. He's not going to change his forecast and say, okay, I'm going to bless evil after all. Take a look at verses four through six of Psalm 5. Psalmist says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. This is unequivocal. God opposes wickedness. God opposes evil. He doesn't want us in a place where we compromise either. And he wants us to know that this is not Some shaky forecast, there's a 30% chance of evil support. God doesn't support evil ever. He always, always opposes it. You might say, well, but does he really oppose all evil? sure he doesn't support murderers no one that isn't a, no one who who has any value for life supports murderers we don't want murderers going around and there's bloodthirsty in here okay I, i'm i'm safe i'm not doing that the people around me even the the ones who are difficult they don't fall in that category either but notice that god is unequivocal in the full orbit of evil everything that's evil cuz it also says here that he opposes those who lie and those who boast. So that includes pretty much all of us, doesn't it, at different times. All of us at times have said something that isn't true. All of us at times have been tempted or gone through with boasting. We at least build ourselves up in our heads, and maybe sometimes we use false humility so that other people can do the dirty work of boasting for us, but we still do it. For some reason, at times we we tend to think that God's champions will boast, whether they're people directly in the church realm or outside, but they, they have huge egos and they love to tell how great they are. And for some reason, as Christians, we find that appealing, but God opposes those who lie and those who boast just as much as he opposes the bloodthirsty. God is consistent, unlike the weather, unlike the weather forecast, especially. And it's so important for us to hold on to that. When things feel uncertain, when we don't know what to do, when we say, God, it sure looks like you're being inconsistent here because I can see these people who aren't doing what's right, triumphing. They, they're, they're they're growing in stature and power and wealth and in everything that is valued by this world. And here I am struggling. I'm being opposed by them just like David is. Are you sure, God, that you're consistent in this? And then something creeps into our mind as we're thinking about this psalm from David, and we say, well, here's David. He's even put in the psalms, and, and he ordered someone's execution unjustly. He did all kinds of unrighteous things. How, how is it that David even can stand here and say these things? Maybe that should shake my confidence in what he's saying. But Take a look at what we read in Psalm 130, verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The Psalms are, are very realistic, and we see that kind of phrasing over and over throughout them, and it's two different aspects of what the Psalms are doing. David here in Psalm 5 isn't denying the truth that we find in Psalm 130. Instead, what we see here is that David is saying, I'm someone who's following you. You're the righteous one. I have your righteousness because I'm a follower of you. What do I do with this wickedness that's triumphing around me? God, please deal with that. It's not an argument that David has everything sorted out, that he's never lied, that he's never boastful. It's not David denying the things he confesses elsewhere, including his blood on his hands from from his unjust actions. It's not that at all. Rather, he's saying, God, as I trust you, as I repent of my own wrongdoing, as I seek to follow you, help me to understand what's going on with all this injustice around me. How do I make sense of that? And that's where we are, too, isn't it? Because if we look at ourselves realistically enough, we realize that if we're really going to hold to the standard that David's is describing here, well, just objectively, we're in trouble. We're not going to make it either. But if, like David, what we say is, but my confidence is in you, the righteous one. My confidence is in the king who is just and is also gracious. Then I can say, what about these situations, God? What about these people who seem to rise to the top, even though they have no desire to follow you? They have no faithfulness at all. And they're doing all these unrighteous things. They're not repenting of it. They're not even saying, I'm struggling with this, God. They're not trying to do anything different. They're just embracing it fully, and and it seems to work for them. Let's look again at verses 4 and 5. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. What's God wanting us to understand here? Well, if we're going to say that God is righteous and that our hope is in his righteousness, the thing that we need to understand is that God truly is uncompromising in this. This is the heart of the gospel, friends, because what God says is not that he doesn't care about unrighteousness, that he's not going to take a stand against it, but rather he's going to take the stand by taking the punishment himself. That's the hope that we find there. That God is so consistent that he is consistent to the point of bringing down the punishment that we deserve and taking it and bearing it for us that's a consistency we're rarely willing if ever to do even on much smaller things not not life and death not eternal fate and and all the weight of sin of the world but how often is it that we start to bend the rules as soon as they they're going to bring us any kind of difficulty god doesn't do that god is consistent and in that The scriptures say time and again how different he is from the various mythological deities that we read about in the ancient world. There were all kinds of different deities, different gods that people worshipped, goddesses people worshipped, and they they thought they could be useful, they thought they could be powerful, but one thing they didn't generally think was that they were perfectly moral. Quite frequently in the ancient world, what we found were, were stories of these beings that were amoral at best and immoral even. They do all kinds of horrible things, or at the very least, were are just like big human beings that sometimes did horrible things and sometimes did good things. The goal really was to bribe them to be favorable to you, not to think that they were somehow righteous. But scripture says, well, the true God, the God that made everything, the one that we actually worship, he's not like that. God is consistently moral. And because he's consistently moral, he separates himself from evil. That's what we see in verse 5. He He's not going to tolerate it. He's not going to hang out with the evil doers and say, well, it's not for me, but if you want to go ahead and be evil, that's fine. No, God is going to actually separate himself for all eternity from, from evil, from all this evil we see and in our own natural state from us. Matthew 25 30 is an example of the sort of phrasing Jesus uses over and over again in his warnings, he says uh, of the worthless servant that he's cast out, that the master casts out the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, he's thrown out of his domain. He's thrown out of safety. And that's a picture of what God will do, that God isn't going to tolerate evil forever. Yes, he allows it to be here now, but that's not because he's compromised. It's not because he really isn't as strongly against evil as he says. No, he very much is. It's because in his grace, he's giving us an opportunity to do something different. And here's this next creeping thing that then creeps into our minds. Is God really being gracious about it, or is he just not able to do anything about it? sometimes there are things that we're very consistent on, but we're not able to do anything about them. We know that this is bad. We know this is horrible. And if it were in our power, we would fix it, but we can't. I read the story about Colonel Sanders, the, the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken, going into a KFC in 1976, a little over a decade after he'd sold the company to a conglomerate. And so he had his recipes, he had his standards, the things that he wanted to see in those restaurants. And after being alerted that one particular restaurant was particularly bad, he went there with a food critic. And this was supposed to be a publicity campaign. It was supposed to make it look like, well, yeah, there were rumors that KFC had been going downhill in quality, but they really weren't that bad. And so this food critic and Colonel Sanders ordered meals and and. They started to eat them and Colonel Sanders was absolutely horrified at what he was eating. And so he went back in the kitchen, looked at how they were running things. The employees at first were overjoyed. Here's Colonel Sanders, the, the famed founder of KFC, distinctly in his white suit and with his his white hair and his goatee. Exactly how we picture him in the restaurant in the middle of New York City. And as they were showing him, as they were preparing the food and how they were doing it, he kept pointing out, you don't do it this way. You don't do it this way. You don't cook the chicken this way. Here's what he said. You know, that company is just too big to control now. I'm sorry I sold it back in 1964. It would have been better, smaller now. It would have been smaller now, but a lot better, rather. And as he looked, he saw the the giant corporation trying to find a way to standardize things to make food prepared faster to, to somehow get the prices just right, all these sorts of things, things that required compromises he wasn't willing to make. And he was horrified. And while the company tried to say, yes, Colonel Sanders, he, he stands up for a quality chicken, but we really think that what we have is good. The, the simple fact was then Colonel Sanders could see this, the food critic could see this. And if we go and order that chicken today, oftentimes we can see this too. It just often isn't that good. And how disappointing that had to be for him. But he didn't have the power to fix it. He couldn't insist they do it differently because it wasn't his. Yes, he was the icon. Yes, he was doing advertising for them. But he couldn't make them do things the right way. Sometimes I think when we we see evil triumphing in the world, we think that God is sort of like Colonel Sanders. How often do cartoonists even draw God sort of like Colonel Sanders, unfortunately? But... We start to think he actually is like Colonel Sanders, this this figure with the big white head of hair, looking down sort of benevolently at all of us, wishing he could somehow make things better, but it's out of his control now. It's now in this conglomerate called Sin, and, and, and he can't do anything about it. Colonel Sanders couldn't fix KFC. He didn't have enough money to buy it back. He couldn't somehow turn the tide and make it good again, but God can with this world. Verse six, what do we read in verse six? We read that you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You destroy those who speak lies. God has allowed lying to occur. God has allowed bloodthirstiness to appear in our world. Yes, we see that. We we can't deny that. But God's not going to tolerate that forever. He's going to oppose it, and someday he's going to destroy it. And this psalm is written while David is waiting to see an aspect of that, to see in his own life things made right that aren't. And as we read this psalm, we're in that waiting game too, waiting to see what will happen. And in the meantime, we see evil happen in this world. We we see things like nine 11 were on the anniversary once again and we see that sort of evil in the world and we wonder, God, it seems like these people are triumphing. It seems like this sort of evil is triumphing. And yes, I know I'm imperfect, but I'm turning to you. I'm repenting. I'm asking God, would you guide me and would you help me? And yet It still seems like there's an inconsistency here because evil appears to be getting the upper hand so often. Here's the challenge the Psalm has for us. Do we know where we want to be? Not where we are now, but where do we want to be? Do we want to be in the presence of a righteous God who truly stands for the things that he says he does? Because That's where he's inviting us to be. It's not today. God is not going to do this yet, but he will do it. And we shouldn't pretend that it's very far off. God doesn't tell us when it could be tomorrow. It could be another thousand years. We don't know. What we do know is where God is going to be, and we can trust that consistency because unlike Colonel Sanders, he is in control. He's not going to stoop in the meantime to the level of those who oppose him and pick up their tactics, and neither should we. We need to ask, where do we want to be? Yes, we're not fully righteous yet, but do we want to be like God in the future? Do we want to actually look like him, act like him, care about other people like him? Do we want to run from lying and boasting and bloodthirstiness? Do we want to run from all evil and experience goodness? As he works in our lives, he gives us the ability to desire that. Sometimes it's a process. It usually is a process. He works on us over the course of years, over the course of decades. But he draws us more and more towards him. I was reading that Hershey's last year had a problem. They, they weren't prepared to produce enough chocolate. And uh, I guess after the pandemic and all the stress we've been through, people wanted more chocolate and they were coming up to the Halloween season and they couldn't magically add more capacity to produce enough of the Halloween candies that people expect and want. And so there was a shortage of Hershey's candy last year. I'm not reading about that this year because they've had time now to reflect on the changes in demand and what people want and to start moving in a different direction. But in that moment, it felt very inconsistent. Right now, we're in a time where things feel very inconsistent. and We wonder, God, what are you doing? How are you working? But we know that he, unlike Hershey's, knows the future. He already knows where it's going. And if Hershey's can correct and see how things are going and change, how much more so the one who has all power and all knowledge is already doing the things to bring us to where it ought to be. We can see where God is headed. That's what the psalm is saying. He's going to do these things, oppose evil, and bring up his righteous ones. And because of that, we can head there with his help, and we can look more and more like him. And let's ask him to help us to do that this very night. Let's pray. Lord, we struggle to do what is righteous and good, but we ask that you would help us. Help us to trust in you that we can come with our unrighteousness and receive your righteousness. And then as we continue to see unrighteousness in this world, we can trust that you will make it good. You will oppose evil. Help us to have confidence, even when it looks like the forecast is wrong, that it isn't wrong, that the clouds will part, the sun will come, the the weather that we were counting on will happen. Because you do what you say and you have the power to do it. We pray for that confidence to believe that tonight in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you. If it was, please do give us a like or a share. It is such a wonderful blessing when you help get the word out. We need to study more about our God and understand him. And I encourage you, consider being part of Sunday School Express starting this Sunday, 15 minutes after our live stream service. It'll be in person and online just like that Sunday service. It'd be great to have you there as we study more about our God so we have confidence when things feel wrong and off and the forecast doesn't seem to be coming through. If you have any prayers or questions, you can text us at 833-356-4032. That's 833-356-4032. I'd love to hear from you there or in the comments. Can't wait to have further discussion with you, to pray with you, and I can't wait to continue this series with you next week.